All right, calm down. I hope that, uh, I don't know, does that bring back memories for people anymore these days, or is no one saying it? Okay, good. Need, need to go see it. Anyways, that was a bit of extra fun to get us in the mood of mermaids, because that's what tonight's talk's on. Um, I'm just going to, can I get some less in the voice? Um, I've got a cough, so I'm sorry if I cough and burst your eardrums also. But, I was doing some, <coughs> someone's calling me, I bet it's Ben, as he looks down to his phone, <laughs> everyone clap for Ben, shame, alright, so I was doing a bit of research, and, and for me I don't do that a lot, so this, I typed into Google, lottery stories, and I noticed a lot of them were bad, so I wrote, lottery stories gone bad, and this is what comes up when you do that. Feel free to test it at any time you like on your own. And again, yeah. Oh, that's quite small. How the lives of 10 lottery millionaires went disastrously wrong. Lottery winners who blew it all. One lottery winner blew through 10 million less than one year. Seven lottery, window, lottery winners who lost all, blah, blah, blah. And um, so that's what you get. And of the half dozen or so that I read, I went to that first, first link. I'll, I'll give you a summary of how they go. You've got, I've changed a little bit to make it interesting. You've got Jack and Jill, and they're, they're walking up the hill. And um, they feel pretty hard done by. It's a steep hill, and they don't have much money. They're finding it hard to keep up with life. But they score big. They win millions, they hit the jackpot. Sometimes they hit the jackpot twice in a month. Yeah, figure. Like that much chances and they get it twice. Anyways, there's champagne, there's celebration, there's heaps of nice photos of them with their loved ones going, yeah, champagne, we won, we hit big. And they're free from worrying. <coughs> they have it all. They buy the dream home, they get those renovations done, they get an album recorded for the band, um, they generously give to their friends, uh, and they travel the world and get heaps of experiences. But every one of those stories has a twist and you'll never see it coming. They fall down the hill, they get bankrupt, and they're worse off than when they started. And it usually happens within like six years or one year, which is crazy enough. Um, it results in the dream home being taken, repossessed, the band falling apart, friendships just crumble and go away because they can't get anything out of them anymore. And the experiences of travel just made sour and there's just huge regret. Marriages fall apart and it's a disaster. All from this freedom. Now we're looking today, everyone is a slave to something. In Romans 6, it was just read. In these stories of lottery winners, the people start out a slave to money and they're kind of in poverty, most of the stories. Slave to poverty and then they're freed from it only to be slave to the pressures of money and the pleasures of money and their life falls apart. But is it the case that everyone is a slave to something? And if everyone's a slave to something, are you a slave to something? So let's get into it. First thing Paul says is that a Christian is free, not a slave. Sin no longer our master. Check it out, uh, verse 14. We're just going before where we read. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. 
To understand what Paul means here, we need to figure out what under the law means. Um, being under the law means you're accountable to it. It's over you, it's required of you, you're subject to it. Some of you own medicine there, Ben. Um, and it's, it's ruling over you, right? So you have to keep this law. And it's God's law, his commandments to his people. It's kind of like, a bit like being under your parents. When you're in their house, what we mean by that is you're subject to their rules, what they say, while you're in their home and while you're a kid. But God is perfectly perfect, without any error, error, and so we know or could assume that his law is also perfect. And that's it. God's law that he made requires perfection. So if we're under such a law, we're under its ruling and subject to that, then perfection is required of us. And it's hard enough for us to make our bed in the morning. I don't know about you. Hopefully at this point you're thinking, hang on, I'm not perfect. I might say I'm good, but I'm not perfect. You don't see many people saying that, except for Muhammad Ali maybe. Um, And that is the point of the law. So if you think back, whenever we did Romans, Romans 5.20, look it up later. Um, It says that the law was brought in so the trespass might increase. So here God's saying that the purpose of the law isn't to save us, but it's to show us that we can't live up to it. So that Romans 3.20, even further back, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. So these two passages tell us that the law cannot save. And that's why it's good to not be under the law. You might think, under under my parents is a good thing, under God's law, a good thing. But no, we're free from that. So now back to verse 14. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law. That's really good. It's really good to thank God about that. We're free from this impossible obligation to be perfect. It's fantastic. But how? We read on and it says, but we are under grace, not the law. Grace, not a chick's name, not something you say before meals, not an elegant movement, Um, but it's a free gift from God that we do not deserve and have not earned. Most evident, you might have heard, uh, in Jesus dying for us rebels against God. So grace means <coughs> God 100%, <coughs> myself 0%. Just given, given, given. It's because of this grace that we're free from the perfect obligations of the law and now under the umbrella of perfectly being given everything by God that we need to be saved. Grace can and does save as opposed to the law. As Christians, if you're a Christian, you're under grace, not under the law. So this should beg a question, yeah? You should be sitting there thinking, sweet, um, not under law, under grace, 100% God, 0% me, this is sounding pretty nice, time to party. A bit like, say you've got a test coming out, let's say the HSC to get on everyone's nerves, and you find out that this ultimate nerdy dude say the guy from Suits, I've been watching that, who just remembers everything, is taking the test for you, and you look ahead and you go, yeah, okay, cool. That means I don't need to study. That means I can relax and just do what I want. The same attitude could be yours about Christianity. Sign me up, sign me up to this grace thing, so I can ditch this and do whatever I want, having God cover anything that I do. So what then, Todd, you might say? What then? If we're under grace, doesn't it not matter what we do? Doesn't it matter 
Doesn't it not matter how I live and I can live as I want? <coughs> Good question. Should come up and Paul sees it coming. Verse 15, 16, let's read it. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. Paul here, at the beginning, in short, saying, No way! He basically explains his answer as, Your actions determine who your master is. See it there, verse 16? Just lost you. When you offer yourselves to someone to obey them as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. It just makes sense. A master is someone you obey and you're slave to your master. It's just logic. It's good. Um, if we obey sin, then sin is our master. <clears throat> if it's our master, then we aren't free from it and we're still slaves to it and we're still under the law. So you can see how this answers the question. And if we're told that if sin is our master, our master will lead us to death. So no way are we meant to keep sinning unless you want it to be your master, unless you want its results. Paul says, Do not presume on God's grace by allowing sin to master you and assuming that you're still free from it. It's a classic Christian mistake. Assuming that you're free from sin but still able to serve it. If you're serving sin, you're enslaved by it. So, ask yourselves, by your actions, who is your master? Who would people say your master is by looking at what you do? Is it the law doing good things, hoping that this will save you? Is that you? It's a lot of people. Do you, let me ask you, do you just long to be accepted by a God who will just take you no matter who you are and what you've done? It's simple. Repent and trust God. Repent, say sorry for doing that and trust that God has got you back. Be accepted by Him and ask Him for His acceptance. That's a prayer I know He will answer. Do it tonight. Are you a Christian who presumes on God's grace? Paul's answer here, by no means, it doesn't make sense. You can't be a Christian and be presuming on His grace and, and wanting to keep sinning so that grace keeps abounding. You spent a long time answering that. You, ne- you guys need to repent if that's you. And if you're someone who understands this fully, you've done a study on it, you've been reading Romans, it's making sense, thank God for that understanding. But do you thank God for that understanding? It's a heaps good question. Often I forget. I'm trying to teach myself to be praying more and more. Are you in the habit of remembering how it is you're a Christian? From this like one little bit here, I reckon you've got at least two things to be thankful for. That you're not under the law, is a negative way of saying it. And that you are under grace. Praise God for that. Sing about it. Pray about it. Read about it. And talk to each other about it. I'm, gonna, I'm teaching myself to pray more and more. So I'm going to pray as we go. And I'm going to pray for those people now. So why don't you pray with me. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help everyone in this room know you. Know your forgiveness and know your love. Lord, we are sorry for those times that we presume on your generosity. We want to repent of that. Lord, we thank you that we are not under the law. And finally, we thank you that we are under grace. Amen? Amen.
So, second thing, Christians free. A Christian is a slave. Yeah, we're free from sin, but we're slaves to righteousness and slaves to God. There's two places it says it, verse 18. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. And verse 22, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. That might not seem like freedom to you. Uh, This concept, pretty strange at first, seems contradictory. Being freed to be a slave. I reckon there's two important things to understand this. Number one, what Paul means when he says slave in the context of slave to righteousness. When we hear the word slave, we think pretty negatively of it, and rightly so. We think um, unfair, oppressive, unnatural, involuntary. And we do that because we've got all these examples in history of slavery. Egyptian slavery, African-American slavery, sex slavery. He, um, like any illustration and metaphor, this picture of slavery has its flaws in the reality that, that Paul is trying to describe to us. He admits it at the beginning of verse 19. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. <clears throat> Actually, I like the new NIV on this passage. It says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your limitations or something. That's good. But I reckon we can pick up what he means by slave in verse 17 and a bit of borrowing a bit from Paul's other writings. So check out verse 17. Thanks be to God that they were slaves to sins. You wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've got the idea of obedience, <coughs> wholeheartedly obeying, and you've got the idea of being entrusted. Now that's not, if you've got the old NIV, it says entrusted. It's not like here's the law and it's been entrusted to you. It's here's the law and you've been entrusted to it. The new NIV says you sworn your allegiance or something. I think that's heaps more helpful in this context. Um, so we're talking about obedience and allegiance to righteousness. Then let's borrow from somewhere else, 1 Corinthians 6.20, the idea of God's ownership of us. He says, you were bought at a price. So that's the first thing. You've got obedience, allegiance, ownership in slavery. The second thing to understand this is to understand that Sin and righteousness are completely opposite. They're polar opposites of one another. There's no middle ground. You might be thinking, I'm not pursuing sin necessarily. I wouldn't say that. I feel like it more finds me. Um, but I'm not pursuing righteousness either. There's got to be this in between ground. And I was hoping there'd be a marker, but watch my invisible ink, ready? So we think sin, and we put a circle around it, and then we... Everyone can still say that? It's good. Up the back? Yeah, good. Imagination's the same. And then you've got righteousness. I just wrote right. And we circle that and we go, look at this. I reckon I'm there or there or I'm here moving this way. But that's not the way it is at all. They're completely opposite. It's more like rub out the circles, sin and righteousness, chuck a line down the middle. And that's black and white as it is. You're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin, you're in sin. You're in righteousness, you're in righteousness. There's no middle ground here that we're talking about. It's one or the other. Because they're so opposite, it makes sense that when we're freed from one, 
and not want to go back with flee to the other. If you're on this side of the board, there's only one other side of the board to go. There's no middle ground. So if you combine these two things of making sense of it, you see that if sin was our master and we don't want to allow it to be our master again, then pursuing righteousness is the only thing to do. We give ourselves in obedience to righteousness. We give our allegiance to righteousness and God. We submit to God as our owner, knowing that he is able to achieve and give us righteousness. Hopefully that makes sense. So then, with our obedience, allegiance and ownership, we are a slave to God and a slave to righteousness. But what does that actually look like? Paul helps us out in verse 19 and gives us comparisons between the slaves. Let's read it after that first bit. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul picks up the idea of verse 16, which is you... Obey the one who is your master. Your actions show that. And he says, You used to obey impurity and wickedness, with sin as our master. Now, obey holiness, with God as your master. It's the idea that when you remove something, you need to replace it with something. When a void is created, you replace it with something else. It's, I reckon it's heaps clear as I read the lottery stories. You've got these stories which presented a person or a couple or a family um, and they're freed from where they were. They're celebrating, they're loving it. But what happens? That void created by their freedom from poverty is just replaced with a slavery to indulgence and it ruins them. They replace it with the wrong thing. We can't just remove impurity and wickedness because there's a void that needs to be filled. And Paul says we need to replace that with righteousness, with holiness. So I reckon you want to ask yourself, are you someone who continually sees sin remastering you over and over again? It's like you can't do anything about it. Can you imagine that that might be a void as you remove that sin for a week. It feels so good, but it's just empty and it just gets sucked straight back in or something else gets sucked into it and it's this vicious process. Do you feel like sin keeps mastering you? This can't be what happens as Christians. We're free from sin. We're free from the power and we can break the habits. We can. We need to remove and replace. It's actually... Very, very practical in thinking about how to kill sin from your life. Removing and replace. If, say, gossip is your thing, going with something a bit different that we don't usually talk about, um, so you can't help but talk about someone in a negative way to someone else, try encouraging instead. Remove that and replace it with something towards holiness and righteousness. Whenever you're tempted to rag on someone, try to think of something good about them instead and use that to encourage them or to encourage others about them. Instead of saying, oh, she's such a bee, you could say, she's such a beautiful, godly woman. (laughs) And simple substitution of words, but hopefully the first one's not actually right. But 
instead of here's another example instead of watching a movie um, that you know is not so great or looking up pictures or going to that website go read the Bible go memorize a verse that will help you fight that pray for help whenever you get the temptation just train yourself to sit down and pray I can almost guarantee it, it will help um, replace things remove and replace heaps helpful so let me pray about that again uh, Father help us to be uh, free from the sin in which we struggle help us to realize that uh, we're slaves of righteousness and that we have the power of freedom from sin help us by the power of your spirit in your son's name amen amen all right that's all right finally Paul's last point he says we've got two masters two freedoms and two ends verses 20 and 22 let's pick it up so verse 20 says when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness miss out a few words but when you're slaves to sin you're free from the control of righteousness verse 22 again free from sin slaves to God so for slaves to God we're free from sin it's more of that polar opposite talks like on the whiteboard if we're in one we're not in the other if we're slaves to one then we're free from the other it makes sense um, Paul talks it out in verses 20 22 you got slaves to sin in 2021 20, so let me read that when you were slaves to sin you were free from the control of righteousness what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. What benefit did you receive from being a slave to sin, Paul says? <coughs> being free from righteousness. Sure, you can argue that you're probably going to have a bit of fun for the next little while. I don't want to deny that being a slave to sin is probably fun for a bit. Partying and doing whatever you want. But it isn't freedom. You can't kid yourself with the fact that it's freedom. It's a false freedom, and it's a sucky slavery to be in. Have a think. What benefit did those lottery winners actually reap from being free from their poverty? Perhaps a good time for a couple of years, six maximum, but ultimately worse off in reality because in reality they were slaves to their indulgence. They thought it was free, and it presented itself as freedom, but turned out to be another form of slavery, only to lead them that much closer to death. So what can we learn from their mistakes? What can we learn from this? I can just see the world for what it really is. See the world, try and train yourself to see the world as a bunch of people enslaved to sin and not a bunch of people that are freer than you are. Sin is a master, it exists. It's a generous master who pays a wage. Not usual. But, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. It's literally presenting a freedom that says you're free to die. Hardly a freedom when eternal life is on the line as well. So let's look at slaves to God, verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life.
A slave to God, on the other hand, reaps holiness. Being free from sin ends in eternal life. Verse 23, the second part. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is true freedom and a good slavery as opposed to false freedom and a sucky slavery. True freedom, good slavery. Life in God and life eternally. So let me ask you, classic illustration, when is a fish truly free? As a slave to the ocean or free on land? So Ariel from um, Little Mermaid, as we saw, seems to think it's on land um, where the sun is warm and the sand's warm and she's got legs to run around on those, what you call it, streets. Um, and she's got, she sees true love there. And she's, she says that up there they get that fathers don't reprimand their daughters as well, which is important. It doesn't look great. It looks so good. She reaches out for it at the end there. It's climax. But to a fish, to flounder, he's like getting into it. He's like, yeah. But it's suffocating. It slowly destroys. It's a slavery which will end in death for the fish. The ocean, on the other hand, is where the fish is free to be what it is what it's meant to be, as a slave to the ocean. Getting it? It's funny, that song is ironic as well, because we're living on the land going, how good would it be to breathe underwater? You know? It presents itself as a freedom to Ariel. That looks awesome, but it's going to kill. And it causes a whole bunch of strife anyway. So yes, living as a slave to righteousness... Seems like there's a lot of confining things in life, here and now, but they lead to true life and life eternally. Yes, living as a slave to sin seems like an awesome time with no confining things, but it leads to death and death eternally. Which slavery are you cheering over? Are you thinking slave to sin? Yes. Or slave to righteousness. Yes. See that? Slave to righteousness. Slightly less hectic. Um, Which freedom are you cheering over? Freedom is hard to get your head around, but freedom from righteousness? Yes. Or freedom from sin? Yes. Which one do you identify with? There you go. The application here isn't which one should you be cheering over? You don't want to get the right answer. It's more like, be who you are. You are one of two things. A slave to sin, or a slave to God. If you're not a Christian, do you realize you're a slave? Everybody is a slave to something. Have a think about what you think is freedom and where it leads. Come to God and be freed from that eternal destination to true freedom and a good slavery. If you're a Christian, live as one who has been freed from sin and enslaved to God and righteousness. Live as you are. Be who you are. Do everything it takes to pursue holiness. In doing so, 
you will know who your master is. If you're not a Christian, I urge you to consider these things and be praying to ask God to reveal truth to you if that's what you need, but talk to your leaders and please pray about that. If you're a Christian, be encouraged. Thank God for what he's given us and pursue holiness. I'm going to finally pray. Father, we, we do thank you that um, you've given us grace and freed us from the perfection of the law such that we can have eternal life and your righteousness. Lord, help us praise you for that every day and help us to pursue holiness because that is where our allegiance lies. Lord, I I pray for those here that uh, do not have their allegiance in you, uh, that they would be pursuing these things, that you would uh, reveal truth to them and show them which way the world is heading and that uh, they are slaves to something. Lord, give us all wisdom and grow us all in your Son's name. Amen.